Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money podcast. Today, it's my distinct honor to welcome Ilana Feinsman, CFP and CFT of Oak Financial Coaching. Now, Ilana and I met, well, we've known each other through the internet waves for a while. And then we interacted because I was in California and said something about skiing. And she's like, oh, you know, yeah, we should connect. I was like, oh, I'm not sure we're going to be able to. And then we had this amazing conversation the other week about genograms, which is family trees and how they help us understand money. So I was like, you got to come on the podcast. We got to talk about this. So she's so gracious to say, yeah, I'll hop on. Let's have the conversation. So Ilana, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself and the work that you're doing these days? Well, thank you. And I just have to say what an honor it is to be here. And I just, I really appreciate your giving me this opportunity. I've been looking forward to it and talking with you again because such a synergy. So my practice is Oak Financial Coaching and I come from it from mixing financial therapy and financial coaching. And sometimes there's a bit of a confusion, I guess, around, okay, so what is financial therapy and what is financial coaching? And I like to explain it to people, I guess, in taking it taking a step back and saying the emotional side of money is the financial therapy part and getting deeper into that part, which I'll talk more about with the geneogram a bit later, getting into the emotional side of money is a really important part because until we can get into the emotional side, we it's very, very hard to change where we come from. But that has to be, I find it works best when I tie that into the coaching part, which is actually looking at the numbers and helping people come up with a spending plan. I'm not a big fan of the word budget because I feel like the word budget is similar to the word (laughs) diet. It's not a sustainable type thing and and it's a bad reaction. I mean, you sort of get diet, then I'm off my diet. That doesn't work so well as opposed to sort of healthy eating versus diet is the same to me as sort of looking to have a spending plan. And we work on that and figuring out what's happening with the actual numbers in a person's life. And then going back to the therapy part, the emotional side, and there's, so it's sort of the past, the present, and then we're working also ultimately to the future and just taking it out wherever a person's at. I know that some people come at, some people approach or some therapists approach things, financial therapists are like, okay, I would like to have someone fill out something with a bunch of numbers in advance. And I actually don't believe in doing that. And actual financial coaches also are like, okay, tell me your numbers. I just meet with people and I start with wherever they're at. And when it's the right time, we will find out what their actual numbers are. So it's that blending that I think find works so well in helping my clients. What an incredible opening. And just, I I appreciate you naming that. I don't even often start with the numbers. And that's a big difference is it sounds like maybe you just get to know them as people first. Maybe you hear some of their stories, you ask them some questions about their life and what's going on and what concerns them. And 
And then you're sensing for when's the right time to actually look at the numbers. Is that kind of what I'm understanding? That is. And in fact, I have a, if you're interested, I have a really unique way of starting my sessions. So I start sessions with a picture of nature typically. And that's because when I've studied with Ted Klontz, Dr. Ted Klontz, through a program called the Executive Circle, he was talking about that being able to access nature in the brain just calms the brain down. So I'll start with a picture of nature and get my clients' reflections on that. And then I'll do a grounding meditation for a few minutes to just really clear the energy. And we'll ask for whatever word they're happy with for divine spirit to help make our time together for the highest and best good, whatever the words that feel right to them. And it's interesting because people have different words that feel right to, to, to different people. And then we start to get into the process, the number, the different, the pieces of all of financial therapy slash coaching. What I like to start with is a test called the Colby A. It's K-O-L-B-E hyphen A. And it's a test of how a person's naturally wired in four areas. And by starting with that, I can find out more how they're wired and where that might be tripping them up with their money. And that's a nice opening without going too deep into, a, it's sort of like a dating, like we're getting to know each other and we're getting to know how they're wired. And for them also, because it, and I can tell you more details of that later. And then the second piece is I usually get into the geneogram is the thing I do next after that. Not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you mind pretending like I'm a brand new client to your practice? Because I'm very interested in this nature imagery to get things started. I'm like thinking about some clients recently. I'm like, man, I would love to do, I would love that to happen for me. And I'm thinking about my clients and they often reflect on loving nature as well. So can we do a little role play? Would that be all right? Yeah, sure. So you just, you do your, your thing and I'm going to be a client that's come to you for some help with my money. You just described, you do this nature imageries. Right. So I guess it's, this would be someone I've already met with and we've decided we're going to move forward. So versus I don't, I don't do this with my prospects because I think that's quite, <laughs> okay. not quite ready for this. So we, we sort of like, I go, hi, here's a picture of this beautiful scene in the, you know, in Hawaii and the beach and, and tell me what your reflections are or the ski slopes, is it like the mountains. It's more like we've kind of gone and then we and then we go into the then we do the grounding meditation. I think if someone just called me and they went get it off the way, I think they'd think I was a little bit like I really was in California because like I know I'm in California, but but really California. Okay, okay, I got you, I got you, I love it. No, and I appreciate that. Like you, know, you do this exercise once people you've built the relationship, you kind of explain your process so they know what they're walking into. All right, so I'm I'm on board. I'm in your process, and I'm excited to be getting going. Okay. And so I would be like, okay, so I'm going to hold up a picture and I don't have my, I actually have a, a, a number of pictures that I keep in a folder, which is not at this desk. So I can't give you a real picture. So I'm going to hold up this book that I'm reading and you're going to pretend it's a picture of a beach in Hawaii and it's a blue water and some rocks on the side and you can see the sun and it looks very, very, yeah. And then I would say to you, I'm like, so when you see this picture, like what comes to mind? And you tell me what, what comes to mind when you see this picture of my pretend picture that all of you listening can also listen to my pretend picture of, of the Hawaiian beach. Yeah, I have no problem pulling up an image of a Hawaiian beach in my mind and relaxation. Relaxation is what comes up for me. I think kind of the sensation of like the wind on my face and the warmth of the sun on my body, a comfortable warmth 
kind of like I can feel the sand between my toes. And I think if I stay with the image and just see what emerges, my wife is by my side, kids are are splashing about and the waves kind of running around. It's just incredibly pleasant. Really cool. And then, so what I sort of listened for that, and as I listen, I sort of think a little bit about we're just hearing what you said, and I don't always reflect this back, but I put it in the back of my mind or I'll write it at the top of my paper, just think what the different things you said, like that you said relaxation, and then you were able to actually think of things that were visual, like actual like wind in your face, the feeling of the warmth, the sand, toes, and all of that. So that would tell me that if I'm, as we work together, if we're doing imagery, that you would be more of a sensing person too. So I would be like, as we're talking about analogies and things like that, I'd probably be more in line to think about what connecting you in that way and that how important it is that things, whatever comes in, clearly your values that come in as, you know, your wife and the kids and the water, like that this whole family being really important to you. So that tells me a little bit about you. A lot of times people don't go into that kind of detail, but they just simply say the relaxation piece or calm or, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be there? So the dream of, mm. of this is something I'd like to have. But do you see, I don't know how you feel as you've just said that, but do you feel like you're in a, like as we're approaching, if you were starting a session now, how would that feel for you as you've sort of shifted to a slightly different place? Yeah, I mean, it really shifts the state of mind and getting fully into the sensory experience, right? Is even with all my knowledge and experience and doing my own work, I still have anxiety rise pretty high at times around money and different parts of my money life. And so it's, nice to think about getting having this relaxed state getting into a relaxed state of mind before kind of opening up into the more challenging parts that I'm would love help with sorting through and then what I would do I don't think it really makes sense to do the full guided meditation but basically I do this guided meditation where I would say I try to figure out how the person I'm meeting with is sitting because some people like to sit like crisscross and some people like to sit with their feet on the ground and everyone has their own way of wanting to sit. So I'll be like, okay, how are you sitting? And if they're sitting crisscross, I will sit crisscross as we do the grounding meditation and bring in energy, you know, bringing in energy from grounding energy, bringing in energy from the light sun energy and really getting present to that. And then again, asking for, once we sort of get in this relaxed state, asking for this divine help to make our time together for the highest and best good. And then we get started. And then, I mean, it, it doesn't take that long sure. to do all of this, but the change in the energy is, is so, it's powerful for me. And I definitely feel like it's powerful for my clients because like we're, then we're starting. Then we're like, then the next thing, if you were the client, I'd be like, okay, tell me your Colby score. And we would look in your Colby score and see how into detail you are, how much structure you naturally put to things, how much of a brainstormer you are and how much in the physical world you are and see which things are then possibly causing you problems with your finances. Like if you're a brainstormer, you're coming up with a whole bunch of ideas, but often it's hard to figure out, okay, which one you're going to do. Or if you're a researcher, you're researching things, but again, which ones to research and how much is enough research. And so looking at the spinning parts or the structure, if you don't have a lot of structure, how do we help you get the structure? Like, It gives me an idea of where we're, what we're going to do. Or if you're not a big brainstormer, maybe you, that's something that's helpful to have me on your team 
to or create other people in your team to figure out how to brainstorm solutions you might not normally do. So we go into that next. And I would tell you all, we would talk about who you are in that way and then go to the geneogram usually. Yeah. And so I think the beautiful thing is each practitioner and professional has their kind of sequence or flow of things. But one of the things you're introducing that really causes me to reflect and think about, well, how do I want to work with my clients is I like this really starting way of of getting settled and getting calm and having the visual and then the guided meditation. That's interesting. I have to I have to bring that back into my own practice and, and see what happens there. But that's that's powerful. And then what's great is there's so many different wonderful psychological lenses for understanding people. And one of yours is is this the Colby assessment. And and as I'm hearing you list the different categories, it's yeah, I can see that. That's another way to understand my clients or see it. And you know, so I think my goal in highlighting that, Ilana, is as you're working with different folks on your money, is we each have kind of some different lenses that we can bring and, and expand and open, but there's other places where we may be missing a part. And so sometimes having guidance from different professionals at different seasons can really open some new vistas. Absolutely. And for couples, it's particularly interesting too, because like I'll give an example of myself and my husband. We've both done the Colby. And it helps me understand how we interact. For example, I happen to be fairly low on structure. I'm about a three and he's about a six. And a lot of stuff when it comes to that whole organizing certain things, it's better for him to take care of the medical bills that need to be reimbursed and things like that. That's more his strength. So we're creating things in our financial world that are in line with each of our strengths. And if it comes to sort of a something that needs to be sort of more innovatively designed along the way, that's a little bit more part of my area, I guess. And so just trying to look at it and say, hey, it's not that someone's wrong or someone's right. It's just, hey, the way we're naturally wired, let's let's divvy things up so that it works to our strengths, I guess. Each of our strengths. That we're doing what we makes us happy. Oh, we're doing what makes us happy. Now, that's a concept I don't think everyone gets when it comes to personal finance, but personal finance could actually make you happy. I think what I'm hearing you say is when you're doing things in line with your strength and partner with somebody else, that your partner's strengths. And so for your husband being high on the structure is like, yeah, he can set up the billing system and like execute getting the bills reimbursed. Not so great for you. You could do it. But like if you got to come up with an out of the box solution to paying for the medical bills, that's your department. Like, oh, but you know what? We could actually take the money from here and do this and not do that. And then look, now we pay the bills. Is that kind of what I'm, I'm picking up on? Yeah, it could be where the money could come from. Looking at, for example, I'm, I'm kind of better at, we had some cash that was sitting in an account that wasn't making, wasn't making money a little while ago. And it was like, he, I'm very good at looking through and saying, okay, where should we put that? And based on and so we moved it to something that was a money market fund, but but there are choices within money market funds. And as your listeners may know, or may or may or may not know, I know I learned this in my classes at Golden Gate University from Rick Kaler, that 80% of the time when someone goes to make a financial decision, they don't. So even something as one could say, if you took, if you took a step back and you said, okay, move the money from this checking account that's not making much money to another spot that has a money market, okay? Does that mean opening an account at another, at a brokerage institution? 
Does that mean then once you're there, which money market fund do you choose? And by the time just in that sample of that decision, by the time you figure out all these different decisions, people are like, forget it. I'm just going to go have dinner. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. I think when it comes to financial decisions or dinner, dinner's going to win out every time. So how to help people, I guess I didn't mind doing that and going through and doing this research and doing the other piece and say, okay, let's go and do this piece. That's sort of my area, I guess. Cause, and so, yeah, so different, which is similar to what you're saying about the buying of deciding where the money was going to come from to pay for things, but deciding where things go and making those decisions, they, that can be overwhelming. And that's why people don't get to them. Yeah. Well, I think about to add insult to injury for a lot of us, we have decision fatigue too, right? It's like, we just are making so many decisions throughout the day that to stop and think about what to do with our financial life can feel overwhelming. And then you can add in like the language and well, I don't really even know what some of these words mean. So forget it. I'm going to, I was thinking you're talking about dessert. I'm thinking I'm going to go have dessert. Like I, I'm going to go to a, go to a suite when I feel distressed or I can't make a decision. I want to just eat something sweet. So that says something more about me, but yeah. Wow. That's great. I love it. I love also that you're highlighting using the Colby to look at kind of your psychological profile and then allocating responsibilities based on psychological profile instead of, I'm going to just say it, gender-based, which is where a lot of people have these internalized kind of, well, the woman is supposed to do this with money, fill in the blank, depending on your background. And the man is supposed to do this with money, fill in the blank, depending on your background. But those aren't always in great alignment with kind of who you are as a person. So I just think that that's such a great, great point. Totally. I mean, the other thing that comes in and looking at these things is that, I mean, I know a lot of people who have like one person, their spouse who has ADD or ADHD, I don't know which one we're, we're calling at the moment, but people say ADD a lot. And, and so it's like, okay, so someone who is easily distracted, there's some really innovative pieces of what they're able to accomplish, which is amazing, but there also needs to be helping them figure out how to create things on an automatic pilot so they don't have to be interrupted how to help them in their processing. And that can tie into the Colby score can help look at that too. Like they may be major brainstormers. They may just be always looking at possibilities. And again, how to look at all of these different pieces becomes really important. And I'll tell you, I spent a bunch of my life like looking at myself and my career, whatever, and going, I mean, as a female, you know, one of the things females are supposed to be, I always feel like that whole sort of being the ideal admin secretarial type thing of traditionally thing. I'm the last person you want to be doing that. I am low in structure. I'm your innovative, like, it helps me that my husband comes in for things in my business and he he takes care of a lot of that stuff, the, the business stuff that I don't like to do. I'm I'm definitely the innovator in that way. So I don't see how traditional gender roles or even people, I have couples that are, that are same sex and then that's a whole other thing, but I don't see that gender is is really the way, it's not a way that I look at in, in divvying up how couples deal with things. I really like to look at what their natural strengths are. It just, you know, there's a, kind of an opening for me as you're saying that. I was reflecting on that administration side is not my strength either. I don't love it. And when my wife launched her dental practice, like I stepped fully into like doing administrative technical details because I, I had the MBA. I was the business guy. I was, and so I, like which translated into like, I need to be filing the paperwork and paying the bills and all these admin things. And it was a burden and I hated it. And 
fortunately, we eventually realized, I don't know, Ed's really not paying attention to this. And I wish I could say it was like a very loving takeover, but it was more, it wasn't a hostile takeover, but it was just like, because she, she's like, I got to do this. So it's, I think just honoring, like we do bring different strengths to our, our life and our relationships. And then, you know, I appreciate your acknowledgement of, of one of many different mental health realities that people live with ADHD, ADD, knowing there's quite a number of people living with a variety of different mental health conditions that can also impact the way they show up or aren't able to show up around the finances. Yeah. And it can be really, really hard for, especially I find my clients with ADD, it just, I feel like that adds an extra layer of, for some of them in dealing with actually making those financial decisions that some of the voices of criticism from their childhood of like, you know, when they maybe couldn't focus at school or whatever, where adults giving negative feedback, like, oh, you should be able to focus to make this decision are being replayed in their head and trying to help them get in touch with it to sort of, in a sort of an, uh, there's a, something, something called IFS, internal family systems way, and trying to get some of those critical voices, the inner critic voices to just pone down so that it just becomes the decision in front of the person versus the emotional triggering of those voices of like trying that are, that are trying, that we're, that we're trying probably to be, that we're externally trying to make something happen that didn't, that weren't helpful. That sadly, sometimes we internalize through internal family systems type ways. We internalize exterior critics, especially in childhood, become inner critic voices. And that's really hard. I try, I like to help people try to work on that as, as part of the process. And sometimes I'll refer people out to a therapist to specifically do IFS work with a client if it's, if it's something beyond what I feel that we can do, the two of us. Teamwork is all part of all of this. And so I'm, I'm working with the financial side, not, not some of the other pieces. And I'm, I like to team up with people when it, have people say, like many people that work with me actually also have a regular therapist. And I'll be like, okay, so we talked about this. Take this back to your regular therapist and discuss that further. And all part of the team. Yeah, with well, a collaborative approach, because there's, you know, the, one of the things I've come to appreciate is as a financial therapist, a financial planner, there's so many money topics that you know people need to get into and talk about and work on. But no fault of the of a traditional therapist, they don't have the money background or knowledge to recognize the wide range of different money topics that people need to get into to work on to really foster financial well-being. And so having that partnered professional relationship for folks really is powerful. And then you know, you're talking about internal family systems, and that's something that comes up on the show so, uh, pretty frequently, is it gives a lens for organizing. Like, I don't just have one voice inside of me. I actually have multiple different voices inside of me. And some of those voices have been taken from the outside in. Maybe in more everyday terms, it's like, I can hear the voice of my mother, you know, criticizing me. And it's like, Sorry, moms, for picking on you. We can also say fathers, you know, because kids, I mean, you've raised your own kids. I'm busy raising kids. And we have to provide feedback to the kids to know what to do or not do. And sometimes we don't always do it in the most loving way. And that they, they take that on, unfortunately. So, yeah, quite a lot going on for us psychologically, isn't there? Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. 
I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. Yeah, there's a lot. And then trying to be the role models for our kids and and role models for, you know, taking care of parents. And then there's, I've been there too, with you know, when you have kids to raise and my father had Parkinson's disease. He sadly passed away in 2017 after having Parkinson's disease for a while. And he was outside Chicago and I'm in California. So there would be like flying there to do what I could. I bring the kids with me sometimes, but sometimes just be my leaving to take care of them, take care of him and do everything I could when I was help my mom and my dad thousands of miles away for, you know, flying away, leaving my family to try to have everything take care of here. It's complicated and it's hard. And then, so having that extra time to sort of make for looking at expenses and things like that gets harder. I think the more people and things that are going on. And then I was, it was very hard for me. Yeah, my dad and I were really close. So that was a hard, hard transition, hard part. But I'd say that also going on with all of that, my husband and I, we've been married, we just had our 30th wedding anniversary. And in one of the times that we went to marriage counseling, and we've done different times, I think marriage counseling is very helpful. We have the most amazing marriage counselor. And part of the reason I do what I do and motivates me is that if we could have taken a pause and done like four sessions with a financial therapist, to go back and understand what our subconscious money scripts were, um, what our values were, and just understand each of our relationship with money and where it came from. I just think we could have made so much, we made more progress faster, I guess, and had more satisfying progress. It wouldn't be a, like, I'm leaving the regular therapist to go to a financial therapist permanently. It just, just, just to get understanding and I didn't know if there were no one, no one was doing that then. And I think there's a real value in saying, okay, what, what is going on and where do we match up and where aren't we matching up and, and what do we each value and how we spend our money? Cause we have different, again, I'm going to use my husband, myself, my idea of something I always want to do is I, I like adventure. So I'd love to go and go away for a weekend, for example. And he doesn't value adventure. He works harder during the week and he just loves being at home and going for his bike ride. So it's like, well, if he's not, wanting to spend the money to go away for a weekend. It's not that he doesn't love me. He just doesn't value that. And it's how to, and then how to make those things balance them out. And I think every couple has the things that are like that, that are, this person values that and that person values that. And then how do you make sure you make it work so that everyone gets their needs met? You know, we're not going to go away every weekend. That's not part of what I want, but just how do, how do we work these things out? And then when you're trying to do everything on a budget and you're paying for your kids to do this and this and this, it gets even harder. <laughs> there's all the driving this one there and that one there. Yes. There's so many moving pieces. And I, I really appreciate you sharing this. And I, I want listeners not miss this. It's, it's so common. I hear it is, well, they they don't want to do this with me. And so then we translate it as, they, as if they don't love me. But when we can see that it's not that they don't love you, but it's they have a different value, it totally changes the whole perspective on it. Because I think not feeling loved is the most painful thing to have happen in an intimate relationship. And whether it's imagined or real, either way, we feel it the same. And that's a big part of relational health and intimate partner health is feeling loved. 
And so if we you're not able to get connected on the money and there's a misunderstanding that it's about them not loving you, yeah, having someone that can sort through that dynamic with you and help you to reconnect around where this comes from, what that's about, and and that the love is still there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just think so many pieces there. So and you know, where you asked me before we started, well, who primarily listens to the podcast? And I said, Well, my best understanding is people about 35 to 50 years old, plus or minus a little bit. And I'm in that, I mean, I do, I'm in that group. And I talk with a lot of my clients, they're telling me about their lives and it's, they start at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, maybe even earlier sometimes. They're getting themselves ready, then they get their kids ready, then the kids are off to school and then they're working and then the kids are done with school and then it's after school activities and then it's dinner and it's nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. And finally, like everyone's in bed. And then it's like, where in that day was I supposed to have time to stop and think about my personal finances or talk with my partner about our personal finances? And so one of the things I hear from my clients, and I wonder if you hear this from yours, is working with me gives them kind of an excuse or a reason to stop and slow down and reflect and think about what's actually happening in their life, what's going on. So they don't think that's what they need initially, but they come to realize like, we need time for reflection. We need time for contemplation, for curiosity and in the natural course of our lives, it doesn't show up a whole lot, does it? Definitely not. I really appreciate how well you said all of that. That was beautifully said. And there really isn't a lot of that time. And I find that kind of like I don't ask people to give me their financial information in advance and things like that. Also, I'm like the time that we have together may just be the time that you're working on it. And like we're we're kind of, I'll use the analogy, playing in the sandbox, like talking about your finances. And so like that just becomes that sort of holy time of we'll look at it and not looking at it alone because there's, I've had people, we've looked through things and they're like, oh my gosh, this number, like I have people, I have a, a sheet that I'll have them, a, a template that I'll have people fill out or we fill it out as they tell it to me. And they're like, oh my gosh, well, this month I spent this and, and all this and, and they're upset about something in there. And I'm like, but wait a minute, let's look at where the winds are like in your finances and being able to be there and point out where I'm like, here's a win where they're like, oh, I'm so annoyed. I spent X in, in here. But I'm like, well, wait a minute, I'm seeing this trend here. And that's looking like, you know, your retirement count is going up or you actually have a house and this, you know, there's these small incremental changes that are positively moving forward. But until we stop in and can actually get all the information out to see what's important and what they're focusing on or what they're ignoring, I heard a statistic this week that something like 45% of Americans don't know how much debt they have. And I've had people call me, I have clients who are like, they know they have a debt problem, they don't know what they have, and we work on it together. So it becomes clear of what they have and what they want to do about it. And I mean, right there, they're paying, I mean, they're going to save money and interest <laughs> right. by being able to look at it. But they're so ashamed by the amounts that they've put together it's a common theme, like, oops, I got myself into debt. And then we need to work through of saying, okay, first stop the bleed, because if you've got a lot of debt, you're, you're just bleeding to death and in interest. That's sort of the best I, and so we work on that. And then we can start to work on some of the things behind the debt, things behind the other pieces and, and helping people sort through. And, and I guess what I would say, one of the first things I like people to do and is to go through when, well, not firstly, once we get into the part where they're ready to look at what they've spent is to get out like a highlighter or something there and mark their expenses, like color code them. Like the green is 
expenses that I am just so glad I got, like spent money on. Like it makes me feel really good to whatever it is, whatever it is, each person's different. And then yellow is like, eh, not so glad I spent money. And red is like, dang, I really didn't want to spend money on this. And I think everyone's gone through there, at least I'll tell you for me, I've gone through by telling the people they'll go through and like, I didn't realize I was spending money on this. And so when you mark that with the red, you know to unsubscribe and, and see where you can find money for different things. Or, and then another factor is the desire to buy things to give to other people that people love. And then they don't realize they're like, well, I was here and I want to support this person and I want to buy this from this person. And then again, not paying attention to what they're spending without sort of having the spending plan and like, oops, I got myself in debt because they want to be generous. And it is just, it's a part of just, I see this as things that people want to do, but versus stopping and saying, making that time, like you were saying, making the time to say, let me look at my finances. And like, I get it because before I had kids, I'll just tell you, I was like, I looked at my finances every month and I did all of this stuff. I was like, so on top of it. I'm like, how could people not be on top of it? And then I had kids and I was like, I'll look at the bank. I'm like, okay, here's what's in the bank account. Okay, cool. You know, we're you know, just, it was just totally, we're going, let's go. We got it. I was up at early in the morning making lunches and, you know, boiling water to put in thermoses and heating food up and getting the lunches and driving the kids to their schools. And, and where we live, we don't have school buses. So so it just, it was a whole, it was a whole thing. It was, I was on the road all day. So it was, it was, you know, we're very grateful for the public schools that the kids go to, went to. I'm grateful for all of it. They're in college now, but, and that has another bittersweetness to it too. It's this sort of like, okay, I just spent 20 something years of my life making sure everyone was going everywhere and feeding people. And now it's just my husband and myself. And I'm like, it's an adjustment. That is a big adjustment. And I can only imagine it from where I'm at. Right? I think. I hope that as I'm learning, there's people that share the seasons of life that are ahead of me that I, like, I foggily think I understand, but I know now that I don't really get it and I won't get it fully until I get there. But I hear you in that, at least trying to hear you. Yeah, you've invested so much energy and the money seasons have changed and the money responsibilities and what you can do have changed. And so, you know, as we think about this last piece of the, the interview for today, at least, Genograms are such a big part of your work, as I've come to understand. It's a large part of my work. So can you tell listeners about what a genogram is, how you use it, and how that helps people start to understand their their deeper relationship with money? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Happy to do that. So a genogram is, I'll tell you the way I use it, and I know everyone does it slightly different, but what works for me is I get a big piece of butcher paper out. And I will start with a client and I'll be like, I will write out their family tree. Um, I'll put them in there. I'll put their spouse if they have, or their, their significant other, you know, whatever, who, who the important partner in their life, their siblings, and then I put their parents and I'll go, I'll start on one side, the mother, the father, grandparents, great grandparents, and then get the stories out of what was the relationship with money and what was their relationship with the people in their lives, their ancestors, you know, are they particularly close with a grandma or, or not close with a parent, not close, Put we put divorces on there. I have a number of clients that are, people have relationships with a parent that isn't so good, that also goes on there. And then what was that each person's relationship with money, whether it was where they had to leave a country for good or bad reasons in ancestry, coming to the United States, things come up, alcoholism, or alcohol 
affecting the situation, businesses that were there or lost, how those things come in, and just what happened in family stories. One of the interesting things, and, and any themes, themes that, have, that come in, and from doing that, you can kind of see some of the themes, and that's where it gets more interesting to see where, that, where a specific money script came from based on your family's, each of the client's family's stories. And there where some anxiety can come from, like if someone's like, hey, I've got money, but I'm really, I'm really anxious about losing it. And then you start doing their geneogram and you're like, okay, well, your grandfather had a business that was profitable and then it was destroyed in World War II. Like these kind of things that these, and there were multiple, like there may be multiple times that's happened to your ancestors and you're actually, you're picking up on some of that energy of the, these type of things that come in and or something happened around money with a family member or, or an estate plan that was done very poorly or not done at all because maybe someone's ancestors were not sophisticated and everything went to wife two instead of children of first marriage. And was, there's all sorts of stuff that shows up. And so it's really interesting to hear everyone's geneogram. And, and there are no two that are alike. And even if, if we had siblings writing out the exact same the exact same gene. If I were to do a sibling, you and, and do you have siblings? Do you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I have a younger brother. Okay, if I were to do yeah, if I were to do your geneogram and your and your younger brother's geneogram, they'd be different. I'm going to tell you because he will have picked up different stories, different messaging. If he's younger, your parents may have had more money when he came through when they when you were there. So while you may have been the old, okay, I'll just say for me, like I'm the oldest. My parents were starting out. For me, what was normal is is fixing up furniture. Like we, my dad and I actually, when I was like little, we, we did stuff, my, I was five and we would like strip furniture. So I still feel more comfortable like fixing things up and doing that kind of stuff. My sister came eight years later. She's like, why didn't you just go buy it? <laughs> yeah, like, but we didn't have that money when I was like, so, but and that's why I think our geneograms, my sister and my geneogram, we very different because we picked up on different energy and different stories. And that's what money is. It's energy. And Sometimes we blame money for things too, which is interesting. Like, well, this person did or didn't do this for the money. And it is it really money's fault? That's something we kind of dive into also. What part is money's fault and what part is how people were wired and how all those things happened? Oh my gosh, that's a huge one. I love it. It's right. Like if we take this inanimate object money globally, and then we give it all the meanings and all the purpose, but like money can't do anything without humans connected to it. But the point I want to come back to as we kind of wrap up for today, and obviously we could can talk for hours on this. Yeah, I could talk to you for hours. It's so great to talk to you. It's such a, thank you. I just love it. It's such a big realization as an adult to walk into your sibling relationship and realize that your sibling actually had a different experience of the same family. And one part of that is the money experiences in the family. And this is a gross generalization, but for many families, they build economic security over time. And seven years is a long time in a family life cycle where a lot can change in a career, career pro- promotions, home purchase, equity built, retirement accounts growing. And so the parent's sense of financial security is increasing along the way. And so, but your formative experiences are being formed in those first five years before you even understand money. So I just love that you highlight your story and your sister's story of money and furniture and and then how that even shapes the way you continue to live out your life now. And you know, I one of the biggest reasons why I'm in this work, Alana, is because 
I've been trying to wrap my head around why did my brother and I's life turn out so differently? We came from the same family. So much to say there, but I think for people to reflect on and really consider just how different their experiences are within the same family and and just this one aspect, especially money, is, is so big. Man, this is great. So as we think about wrapping up our time together today, are there parting pieces of advice, guidance, wisdom that you'd like to offer folks? I don't know. I guess I would just say, I did not think of anything advanced, but uh, the only word that's coming to mind is try. Just try. Just try to be with it. Try to be like where you're at. Try to be like, okay, if this is where you're at and it isn't where you thought you'd be, try just to be with it and be like, okay, this is where I'm at. And if there's some place you want to be, like, and, and what you're looking for, like, what is your vision for the future? Like many people say they really want to achieve financial freedom or kind of thing. Try to do as you try to, to consider ripping out pictures from newspapers or magazines that bring up for you images of what you dream of, whether it's a house or even if it's something of a of a pretty picture of nature that gives you, that makes you feel that feeling of freedom that you're ultimately, if that's what you're looking for and feeling secure, because really I think freedom and security are the, are two of the main things that uh, people want to get out of their relationship with money and trying to get in touch with that. And then also to sort of think of if there's something you're spending a lot of money on, like, I mean, Maybe like you said, when you get stressed, you reach for sweets, but some people get stressed and they reach to shop. But when they reach for shopping, then, then that doesn't work because they bring the thing in and you get that quick amount of says cortisol or you know, it comes in, but then that, then it goes in with all the other stuff you have. It's cluttering. So what else could you do that could possibly give you that fix? And, or can you put a pause on things that you're spending that are maybe not serving you? to look at. So that was sort of a very long answer, but going through and really being in touch with what is your green spending, like in my color-coded piece, what is it that brings you the joy? And, and one thing I really don't like, to be honest, I'm just, I know I used to work for Charles Schwab, great company, by the way, I was very happy when I worked for them and all that. But Charles Schwab came out and was like, okay, don't get your latte in the morning. And like, okay, you know what? If your latte is your green, like I love my latte and I go to Starbucks and this brings me so much pleasure, get a latte. Like who's to say what you're spending your money on? But maybe there's something else that you don't need to do. But if you're just, if you're just doing it because you're mindlessly doing it, like we do so many things mindlessly, like, oh, I didn't get my coffee. I'm going over here. And you'd be okay with something that's more of an instant, like, like Trader Joe's instant coffee. They have a good one from Mexico. And that would work for you. And you can do that and just throw some hot water and a thermos before you run out the door in the morning and save yourself six bucks and the, over there. Then do that. But it's just what works for your world and what really brings you joy. So, and just keep trying. That would be my message. It's what a great way to end this is keep trying. Because I think what I know at, at a very deep level, and I imagine you know this too, is we collapse and we we stop trying because we get overwhelmed and we get frustrated and we we get frustrated with ourselves. We get frustrated with our partner. And so stopping is an understandable place that we land, but being able to try again. And if you're stuck trying again, reach out to Alana at Oak Financial Coaching, reaching out to me here at Healthy Love and Money, but reaching out to somebody that can help you get unstuck and help you stay unstuck will be so powerful for you because unless you physically died, there is still an opportunity for change. 
So Elon, thank you so much for being on the show. I hope you have a wonderful day and I look forward to having you back as a guest in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was my honor. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed. Ed.